Welcome to Rethinking Humanity Interviews. I'm Lacey Delane. I'm Sonia Larea. And we are so happy to have you guys. It is Friday. It's Friday. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> it's Friday. I love coming to you guys on Fridays because it's just a fun day and everybody's, you know, happy because it's the weekend. Um, so yay for that. It's May the 14th. We're a little earlier coming at you a little earlier than we have been lately. It's one o'clock. Uh, we are super excited for the show that we have for you today. It is about sexual abuse and masculinity, and I'm just really, really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too, Lacey. This is uh, something that is taboo that needs to be talked about, so we are enthusiastic about being here and having the conversation today. Yeah, for sure. Tell us, Sonia, before we get into this, we're going to bring in our, our guest, Mm -hmm. Tom uh, Crewmans. Uh, I want to hear about you. How are you? What's going on? Um, just doing it. Life, just doing day-to-day -day life here. Uh, pollen, pollen with the spring here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I was just uh, yeah doing a lot of reading and getting mm -hmm. ready for today. So I'm like I said, I, I'm so interested in having this conversation. It's it's way overdue. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, well, you know. I want to link this conversation to some of the things that we've been talking about in season two and really this whole time that we've been doing the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've been talking about can a society be sick and how do we know that? And so we're drilling down into the ways that we can figure that out. Um, you know, From talks about something more on the micro level, though, Sonia, than mm -hmm. on the macro level. Um, that can be an indicator of a, of a healthy society. Right. Um, yeah, I think that Frome gets into how do we change the, you know, how do we bring about a new society? And we've gone over it a lot through our um, conversations. And part of that, and it's something that we're debating, is that he talks about there needs to be a profound change in the human heart. Yes. Is, uh, it's a big one. Hey, Chris. So happy to have you, my friend. Glad, glad you're here. Um, thanks for those of you who are uh, tuning in on, on YouTube and live with us. Yeah, a change in the human heart has to occur. And I think, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before on other episodes, but, um, you know, there's a balance of what we need to happen between individual change and societal change um, and the structures in our society as well as uh, changes in the individual and the, in the human heart. So I think that's an interesting, um, you know, balance to try to find and try to figure out. Right. I think one of the um, areas that has just been a theme with From also is the fact that this exercise of power that's over those that are weaker, and we see that it's a recurring theme in a lot of our institutions, and specifically it addresses what we're going to talk about today, um, the abuse that we see in these institutions, like the USA Gymnastics, mm -hmm. um, we've seen it with the Catholic Church, we've seen it in many areas, you know, uh, college sports. Um, these are just some of the examples, and it's very pervasive. And I, I'm like I said, it's just an important topic to to put it, bring out in the open and have these, you know, honest conversations about what's going on. Right. Yeah, we've we've seen it in so many institutions and that's kind of really our focus today of how we are seeing this 
over and over in institutions. Of course, today specifically, we'll be talking about um, the Boy Scouts of America uh, bankruptcy case, and so that's really where we're at. But it's it's the it's not the first time or the only time we've seen this. And we've seen it over and over, like Sonia mentioned, with the USA Gymnastics. Um, there's actually a podcast that just came out on iHeartRadio about a camp in my hometown. Mm-hmm. In a way, this Camp Hell. Camp Hell is the name of the series. And again, same thing, institutionalized abuse, sexual abuse. Um, so this is this was wild to me, Sonia, because I'm like, I played soccer. I did camp, soccer camps right, and right. practice on the field in that space. Where right. talking, this is insane. So literally, this is happening probably more so in all of our hometowns than we realize. Right. And so, but it's something, Sonia, you know, that that we're that we're not talking about. And no. No. And that's that's really why we wanted to have Tom on on today. So if you're ready, let's bring him in. Yes. Okay. Tom uh, is an advocate for universal basic income and for sexual abuse survivors. And he's going to tell us today about what's going on with this case and tell us his story. So welcome, Tom. Hey everybody! It's so good to be here. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled about this opportunity, and uh, it's something that's shocking, uh, something that is heartbreaking, and yet it is truly an opportunity for us to make some uh, some exciting change. So good to be here. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for being here. I yeah. Mean, thank you, Tom. Yes, we appreciate you doing this. Uh, we appreciate your courage. We know that you've spoken to uh, USA Today, uh, NBC News recently, so we appreciate you making some time for us. Right. Yeah. Uh, luckily, the, uh, the spotlight is finally starting to cover uh, the stories of survivors, so uh, this, is, this is the moment to speak up and speak out. Right. Um, yeah, we really do appreciate that you are taking this time and, and giving us, you know, your story. And I thought to start for our viewers could know what the story is, is you could talk by telling us your personal story and then we can get into the Boy Scouts, the whole, all the, the bankruptcy and the litigation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump right in. Uh, talk about the, some of the harsher sides of humanity. Um, so <laughs> We're trying, I, to, trying to fix that, Tom. <laughs> hey, there we go. This is how we do it. Um, so just a, a warning for everybody. It's, it's a bit graphic, um, but I won't get in to too many of the, the details here, but I am a survivor of a uh, sexual abuse and uh, rape during my times as a, a Boy Scout. Uh, it's something that happened when I was in sixth or seventh grade, uh, away at a camp in the foothills of Appalachia, uh, right in my home state of South Carolina. And it's something that had scarred me for all of my life. Uh, right now, this week is the very first time that I'm coming public with it. And it's because of the scale of the case that we're dealing with. Um, so the basic breakdown, just a, a quick timeline to give you all a sense of where we are. Uh, the yeah. Boy Scouts of America is the largest scouting institution, the largest scouting organization in the country. There are others that are pursuing this type of ideal, but they're the biggest. And they are right now in the midst of the largest sexual abuse bankruptcy in human history. This is something that is threatening large commercial insurers. It is 
threatening the actual solvency of the organization to continue. And we're watching it right now in this very moment spill out from a bankruptcy court into the public sphere. Um, a short window of how we got here uh, is basically in 2010, there was this landmark case that was tried. Very few cases were going forward because it happened to young boys and boys don't speak up. But every now and then a few people were brave enough and strong enough to do it. And in 2010, we hit this threshold. Um, that case, it allowed for the release of around 20,000 documents that were hidden within Boy Scouts since their founding in 1910. Wow. These documents, they detailed a history of sexual abuse by troop leaders, by uh, camp counselors, by older scouts, and they were dubbed the perversion files. Now, what makes these perversion files so frustrating and uh, honestly shameful is that they weren't shared with the police except for very rare occasions. So what we were seeing was yeah. something would happen the scouts would know about it. Similar to the Catholic Church, they would allow the abuser to oftentimes continue volunteering and having unfettered access to young boys. Wow. And it would continue the cycle. And in the release of these files, more lawsuits started to happen. More people felt empowered and emboldened to speak up and speak out. And those cases started to build and in uh, 2020, February of last year, uh, the scouts realized if we don't go into bankruptcy court, the scale of these lawsuits is going to put us completely out of business. Mm -hmm. They made a business decision and they brought us to bankruptcy court. Yeah. Now, why is this tough? It means that I and every other survivor that's out there does not have the choice at any point in the future to sue the Boy Scouts of America for our past abuse. That option is gone. They took that away from us. All we have is a bankruptcy court now. And that means that this conversation uh, about justice is now framed around dollars and cents and a compensation trust. I am a survivor, but legally I am a claimant. And that means that if I'm not careful, if I'm not constantly going out and sharing my story, I kind of lose my humanity in this whole thing. So. Yeah. We're hitting a pivotal point in this case. Uh, there are 84,000 different claimants that are on this. And the way That's this awesome. case, it, it's, so it's a stunning many. number, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. How about we know? And yeah. it's it's worth pausing on that exact point. Exactly. So exactly. how many how many went forward? Those are just the ones that felt comfortable enough sharing their story. And that's we, we don't know the totals, but we know it's more. Mm. And right now we're, we're getting to this end stage where the Boy Scouts are putting together their reorganization plan, which is just code word for a budget. How does mm -hmm. the debtor repay the creditors? Um, and their approach, they say, is twofold. They want it to be equitable compensation for survivors like myself, and they want it to be a dedicated uh, effort to continue practicing scouting long into the future. Now they've, they've done the right things for that second point. They are putting in a lot of effort to making it a safe experience for those that are in scouting now or will be. But there's nothing equitable about how they're treating the survivors. The 
money that they are restricting, the backroom deals that they're doing with large commercial insurers, uh, the way that they're setting up arbitrary firewalls between them and local groups. It's all this complicated weaving to say, mm -hmm. what is the lowest amount of money that we can put into this victim's trust? And at this point, I don't know the, the specific number because it truly changes by the day uh, with all the negotiations, but it's going to average out about less than $10,000 per survivor. Now, let's think about that. My therapy costs alone, and I'm one of the younger survivors that's been there. My therapy costs are well above that. So imagine someone that has been dealing, dealing with this for decades. Right. That, that right there, that's re-traumatizing. We are getting put through this again. We are being pushed to the side, told that we don't matter. And eventually, most likely right now, we're gonna learn that what happens when you push things under the rug over and over and over again, that rug's gonna get ripped out from under you. And we're watching that happen live. Mm -hmm. Tom, I wanna go back to your um, personal experience. Was there a system in place for you to go to someone uh, of, I guess, you know, the of responsibility to tell what was happening? Like, did you have a, a place of safety that you could talk to someone about this circumstance? Technically, yes, but honestly, no. Okay. Uh, and that's that's the big challenge here. It's, it's cultural mm -hmm. and it's the questions of um, how do you come forward with a story like this? How do you acknowledge the wrongs knowing the the past is all about burying them. Oftentimes that system is not designed to protect the survivor, but to corner the story. And just like an HR professional in a large organization, it's protecting the company rather than protecting the, the actual individual employee. So right. I, I never really felt like I could do that. Um, I actually remember when it happened, it was a, it was a parent's night um, and Right after the incident, I ran over to the mess hall. There are thousands of people there, and I am devastated. I've got tears running down my face, and I run up to my mom. My dad was also there, and I couldn't get the words out, especially with you know running into a room crying. Mm -hmm. So I just said, I'm scared, and I want to go home. And mm -hmm. in that moment, looking like a just a homesick boy on parents' night, I, I knew in that moment, I can never say this again. Wow. This, this is shameful yeah. and this is disgusting and therefore so am I. So no, there's not really, there wasn't a way to, to report these types of things. Were you at an away camp type situation at mm -hmm. this point? Okay, so you wanted to go home and leave the away camp. Did you end up doing that? Uh, no, so I, I stayed the rest of the time. Uh, my dad was heavily involved in scouting. I don't remember if he was scoutmaster at the time, but that's that's kind of the role he played. Mm -hmm. um, so he he was there. We just uh, kind of came to the decision that yeah, we can we can stay here because dad will be here. It'll be just fine. Okay. Do do you know anyone else? I'm sure you've connected with other people who've been through the same thing in the Boy Scouts of America organization. Yeah, there are, I mean, when there are 84,000 claimants. Right, right. But they, I guess I'm thinking particularly in the time that it happened with you or when you were there at, at the camp, anyone who was there with you at the same time. 
I, I'm not directly aware of that. Mm -hmm. And um, this, I, I think, is also a good way to show just the, the range of cases. Uh, the bulk of them are scout leaders. They are adult volunteers with all the power mm -hmm. that it is, they're able to wield that in a very particular way. Uh, in my case, it was a much older scout. I was sixth or seventh grade, and uh, he probably was 18. And the challenge that I had was it's parents' night. Every single person in camp is at this mess hall. And this older scout is someone that the troop leaders he was with were aware was running around and bullying other kids. The camp mm -hmm. counselors were aware that he was running around and bullying other kids. Mm. And yet during this moment, he was allowed to just wander the camp and explore and do whatever he wanted to do. Um, that right there just shows that there was a complete cultural mm -hmm. uh, mindset that allowed for the worst things to happen. So I'm, I'm not aware of anybody uh, personally that was involved right. in that, but right. It, it, it happens in all kinds of cases. Sure, and I'm sure at that age, and you're not going to know, like you said, it's not something that you're talking about, that uh, there's, a, there's a shame associated with it. So I'm sure that things were happening, but you don't have that awareness at that like age. Um, something you touched upon was the therapy. I, I think what's very important here is how traumatic and how damaging this is and how this affects you for the rest of your life. And I think that would be uh, important to talk about also how, you know, that impact. Um, and you mentioned therapy. I'm sure there's other aspects of life that it affects. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one, of the, one of the phrases that we've been using constantly is uh, dis, disease is dis-ease. It is mm -hmm. one person passing along their pain to another. Um, in my case, my abuser was uh, actually during the assault, kept saying, you're nothing and you're never gonna be nothing. And it was clear, that looking back, it is clear that he was saying that about himself, that mm -hmm. this was someone that was very much struggling and was dealing with all kinds of demons. That's not excusing the actions, but it's right. it's trying to get a sense of how he got there. Right. And even looking back, even knowing that he wasn't saying that to me, I took that to heart. And for years, I mean, even to this day, knowing it, I still fall into that trap. If I'm doing something successful and I, I you know, great project goes off, I host an event and everybody has a, a wonderful time or any any time I get an accolade. Oh, I do not believe it. I do not think I've earned it. I, I think if people just dig a little bit deeper, they're going to find out the problem and then all of the praise is going to go away. And then if something goes poorly, if I fall apart, I stumble, I cry, I break, then that seems right because it, it meshes with that deeply mm -hmm. embedded sense of who I am. I'm nothing and I'm never going to be nothing. And that's that's tough to live with and it you don't get that fixed overnight you don't get that fixed over the course of a couple of years and sometimes you don't even get that fixed at all you just learn to live with it and that's that's what we're dealing with probably the rest of my life i'm going to be working through the pain the trauma and how i reacted to it 
And I think that's okay, but sure. only if we're taking action and we're making sure it doesn't happen to anybody else. Well, and that pain and trauma, oh, sorry, Lacey. No, I no, I was just saying how that just explodes into all aspects of life. Every, like you're saying, your personal life, your professional life, and then it affects others. So it's this ongoing situation that never actually stops. And so it's something you're working through constantly. And in your case, you're, you're admirable because you're working through that. There's people out there, I'm sure, that aren't or that have that shame and fear to talk to yeah. someone or to work through it. You know, and that links back to me to the discussion we were having about the bankruptcy case. How do you put a number? And Fromm would say this. How do you put a number on every day um, working through the remnants of the pain that is caused or was caused by this situation? How do you put a number on that? A human, it's a human, I mean, what is that worth? It's it's hard to do, but it's it's surely not, Less than $10,000, I can promise you that. <laughs> right. And we we can't get to, uh, there are people that do that for a living. They try to get the closest they can to a tangible number and hey, that's the system we're working in. And I mean, more power to them. Thank you for trying to get something out there. Um, what we can do though, is we can try and frame what's happening right now with the Boy Scouts with some of the recent cases. So. Y'all may be uh, aware of that USC settlement that just happened with the uh, gynecologists that had been mm -hmm. um, abusing somewhere in the, the range of seven to 800 women. Um, now, with that, they managed to provide somewhere around 1.2 or 1.3 million for each and every victim. They went through the courts. They did not drag this into bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. They went through the courts and they sought justice. They tried to find a number that they believed was fair and they provided that to the victims. Now, obviously, USC is a very large institution. It is a very wealthy institution. They can afford to do something like that in a way that the Boy Scouts of America, a national nonprofit, cannot. So that level uh, and scale, 700-ish versus 84,000, the numbers, yeah, it's going to be lower. But right now we can point to the, the costs that are being identified. We can look and say, the Boy Scouts are doing everything in their power right now to block funds from going to victims and paying lip service to try and make it seem like they care. And I believe that they can find a way to do the right thing, but I don't believe they can do it alone. They have to do it with the pressure of the survivors, reminding them every day to live to the ideals that they espouse. So it's, it is just a tricky thing. We are trying to put a number on a human life. We know that human life has worth intrinsically, inherently, it is not a monetary value, but we're in bankruptcy court and that is all we've got. So the purpose of the Boy Scouts, if I get this right, of going into bankruptcy is to um, allow them to stay solvent and not pay or pay a smaller amount to these victims. Is that correct? Essentially. And the, the lawyers that are representing a lot of the survivors are doing some phenomenal uh, forensic accounting work. They've mm -hmm. managed to go into all of these local councils and find a way to give them a couple years of finances to continue running and then generate funds. 
and continue doing what they want to do long into the future. And with that amount still secured in each local council, we can still have more money put into this victim's trust that provides us with support. But that's not how Boy Scouts of America's leadership wants to do this. They want to restrict all funds that they possibly can from those local councils and say that we as survivors are just trying to put them completely out of business. And that's not the goal. I, there is certainly the goal of some people mm -hmm. um, because they're angry, they're spiteful, they're damaged, they're hurt, they're in pain, and they want the thing to burn. Right. But for some of us, no, we want scouting to continue. We believe in the ideals, but right. those ideals ring hollow if you're not going to support people like me. You know, and that brings us to, you know, another thought process on this whole thing. Like you mentioned, there's a lot of people who are like, just burn the whole thing down and, and start over. I can understand someone feeling that way. I personally, you know, may even agree with that. <laughs> but you, Tom, I think are, are taking a very nuanced stance, which shows a lot of maturity on your part. Um, I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit, that you are not like, this thing needs to just be shut down and over. Yeah, it, it goes back to uh, the distinction between the ideals of scouting as a concept and the Boy Scouts of America as an organization. Now, this is the largest scouting organization that exists. Uh, it's the largest group that takes people, uses the, the power of the wilderness to help people figure out who they are and give them power and a sense of what they can contribute to the world. Um, they're the largest ones doing it, but they're not the only ones. And my goal is how do we get to this ideal of scouting? Now, naturally, Boy Scouts of America, if they do the right thing, they are currently the most equipped to continue pushing us towards that ideal. But if they don't wanna stand up to the scout law, the scout motto, the scout oath, then they don't deserve that right and another organization willing to do that can absolutely take their place. And that's that's something that I always come back to is we're as survivors and as the attorneys representing all of us, this coalition, we're not trying to tear down the scouts and make them insolvent. We are in chapter 11 bankruptcy, which is designed to help them continue running at the end of all this. It is completely in the Boy Scouts of America's leadership's hand to do the right thing here. They know what the right thing is. We've walked them through it. It's just, are they gonna step up? Yeah, I, I would question that if the culture of the Boy Scouts, just what you're saying, if the leadership is not willing to step up, doesn't that speak to their inability to do what they need to do? Um, and like I said, to, to what you're saying is to follow their ideals. And I guess I, I guess the time will tell, but it's you know, it, it would appear that at this point that they aren't. I don't know. Well, and that's that's the key about the time too. Is uh, this is a costly bankruptcy? Uh, it, I believe, lawyers' fees for it at this point have reached a hundred million dollars in legal costs to go through and do the extremely detailed analysis that's required to run a case like this. Um, the scouts have said if they can't get to some kind of resolution around August, 
then they may just have to uh, fully go and solve it. So we are seeing the clock ticking. And that's the thing about a lot of this cultural change, these deeply embedded beliefs that this isn't just scouting, this is across all of society. When something goes wrong, the human nature is to push away the uncomfortable and hope it never comes back. For us to change that, it doesn't happen out of a sense of positivity and here's the right thing to do. That change almost always happens because there is a fire burning at your back and you get pushed into the action. That's what we're seeing right now. This deadline of the next few months to get some kind of decision, that's going to essentially be that fire. And I hope they step up. I, I know they've got the skill set. I know that there are thousands upon thousands of volunteers that are working at the local level, doing the right thing for the right reasons. And it's just up to the leadership. It's just up to them. You quoted the number in the beginning of 84,000, which we determined is definitely higher. My other question would be, in your story, which was obviously happened when you were younger, how recent have the Boy Scouts of America had, for instance, in the last year or two, have there been further instances of sexual abuse happening that you know uh, of? Mm -hmm. There are some that have been occurring fairly recently. I'm not sure about just the last two years, but there are definitely some that have happened uh, since, uh, since my case. Mm -hmm. And it's also worth noting that in the past, 15, 20 years is when they've been making a lot of these shifts and putting in new regulations, how they vet volunteers, and still things like this are slipping through the cracks. And right. it, it, it shows the challenge of the pro, or of the, the nature of going out into the woods to find some kind of ideal. It, it is inherently a tricky problem to get your hand around. We've got to give some credence to that. This is the type of thing that naturally draws abusers. The mm -hmm. question is, are you willing to do anything and everything to stop that? And the answer has to be yes. yes. There's no way around it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where, you know, people can put their money where their mouth is. <laughs> no pun intended here. Uh, in this case, because it's like, uh, well, if human beings are the most important thing and the survivors are the most important thing, then who cares if you're solvent at the end, take care of them. And then you can rebuild from there afterwards. Um, I mean, to me, it feels like that's, if my heart is burning with, you know, like compassion for you. That's going to be my number one go-to way to handle the situation. Yeah. I think there's, there's a couple points to talk about just how how big this is and how the Boy Scouts of America might be the the face of it, but this is a much more pervasive problem. Um, I, Sonia at the beginning had mentioned gymnastics and um, the Catholic Church, and we're seeing all these scandals boil up. But in this one specifically, it extends beyond the Boy Scouts of America. Uh, right now, their main claimant groups are going to be the 84,000 survivors and these large insurers that over decades have taken out very hefty liability uh, uh, cases. They've, they have an extensive amount of liability established within the Boy Scouts. And we're not talking small insurers. We're talking groups like the Hartford, 
like Century, like Chubb, which is the largest commercial insurer in the entire country. And the liability they have is enormous. And it is enough that it actually risks financial insolvency for these groups too. So what we're seeing is this massive intertwining of funds and how we define how things operate in the first place is ensnaring the Boy Scouts of America. I, I can't deny that the pressure that leadership is feeling is unbearable to get out of this bankruptcy quickly and keep operating. I, I get that. That pressure is huge. But this is the time to look in the mirror and figure out what the next thing to do is. One very specific case that just recently came to light is with the Hartford. Now, the Scouts uh, representative group found out that based on their estimates, they have about $8 billion in liability with the Boy Scouts. That's a big number. And yet they decided, uh, the Scout leadership decided to settle with the Hartford for $650 million in this proposed plan. That's less than 10%. What they're telling them is if you pay us a small amount, we promise we're going to get you out of this thing. We're going to finish up the bankruptcy court. We're going to wipe our hands and the past is behind us. You never have to worry about the past. The other insurers never have to worry about the past. The local councils don't. We don't. The only people do, the only people that do are the survivors that are going to live with this the rest of their lives. The rest of us, free and clear. And that's, that's the challenge. It is money talking. It is the right. system working as intended. And that's a challenge. It begs the question, like, why we even have these insurance companies. It seems like it's just a false, you know, sense of whatever security. And again, I would say, like Fromm says, these institutions have to be I don't, dismantled, reorganized. It, 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 it doesn't make sense in our society that we can't count on certain things that we have in place. Yeah, we, we have this idea that uh, institutions are more trustworthy than people. Uh, we saw it, I mean, a, a very easy example is actually uh, COVID. When COVID happened, we had the PPP and all these mm -hmm. loans. And instead of saying, let's just give money to people and support them, we ended up giving money to institutions, hoping they would do the right thing. And it clearly didn't work. It, it's, it's a broken backwards idea. What if we focus on humans? Well, if we focus on people doing the right thing for them and let the businesses figure out how to respond to that, why mm -hmm. are we trying to focus on protecting an institution, right. especially when that thing is at its core rotten and hurting others? That's, right. that's a challenge. It's upside down. This is the pervasive thing, too, that we're seeing all across society here in the U.S. Uh, it's, you know, bureaucracy at its finest sarcasm there. I want to read a little bit of uh, from on bureaucracy from to have or to be. I think it fits really well here. He says the bureaucratic method can be defined as one that administers human beings as if they were things and administers things in quantitative rather than qualitative terms in order to make quantification and control easier and cheaper. The bureaucratic method is governed by statistical data rather than on response to the living beings who stand before them. Yeah. 
this is this is just sums it all up. I mean, this is about protecting these organizations um, and seeing the humans in them as numbers and not really as human beings. Yeah, it's 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 enormously tough. Uh, one of the things that we've been grappling with um, as survivors is the Scout Law. I am trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, mm -hmm. cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. That obedient piece. Yeah. That right now, that stinks. That's, that's that me. hurts. That is us learning to give our trust and to fit into whatever this role is, and then when that goes wrong, when our livelihoods, our sense of who we are, mm -hmm. uh, gets ripped away, well it is still there that is still in the scout law so i guess we're gonna follow it and i'm being told to not tell even if it's not directly i'm seeing it it's it's obvious i don't talk about it and i will obey in that way that's that doesn't work that does not work for me and there are a lot of uh other survivors that are trying to figure out well how do we want to rewrite that and some are suggesting putting in the word determined to say that we are here, we're not gonna stop. And if there's anything that represents the ideal of scouting, it's that when you see something and you're speaking truth to power, you are determined to keep on going until that change happens. Yeah, I am. Um, I can see that that's an issue with that language uh, and that they need to look at that carefully. I was telling, I think you and Lacey before we started that I went and researched a little bit the history of the Boy Scouts and I did find where it says the current mission statement of the Boy Scouts of America is to prepare young people to make ethical and moral choices over their lifetimes by instilling in them the values of the Scout Oath and Law. And I just find it, you know, ironic that we're talking about these difficult uh, choices. And this is part of their the, of their mission statement. It doesn't seem that they are living that that mission statement. It it doesn't. And yet, what do they repeat um, constantly? In uh, some of the earlier hearings of this bankruptcy court, uh, there's one notable case where 15 minutes passed before the Boy Scouts lawyer, uh, Boy Scouts of America's leadership team and their lawyers mentioned the survivors. 15 minutes in a court case. They had no hesitancy reciting the scout oath reciting the scout law, but it took them 15 minutes to get to the survivors, which is what this whole thing's about. Right. And that's, uh, it's just time and again, there are little things like that, that are essentially pushing us to the side. And that's just not going to cut it. Right. Another thing, this, this fits really well here from rights and to have it to be once the living human being is reduced to a number, the true bureaucrats can commit acts of utter cruelty, not because they are driven by cruelty, uh, but because they feel no human bond to their subjects. Once we are boiled down to a number, then there's not, it's so much easier to detach that human connection. And, and it's easier to just not treat people like human beings. Oh, so, so much easier. That's the survivor turned claimant. Um, right now, at this moment, we're seeing uh, the insurers and the powers of be uh, through 
groups like the, or through uh, mediums like the Wall Street Journal, start to call out these survivors. And they're coming up with bogus claims and pretty uh, unresearched allegations of fraud on our behalf. They're saying things like, well, why do we see a 55-fold increase in the number of cases that were, uh, the number of filings that were submitted in the last week? We only had from February to November. Why do we see all of that happen at the very end? Well, you can try to, to say it's fraud and it's a bunch of people jumping on to try and get money, but no, sit with that a little bit and think about it. This is the most traumatizing thing that's happened to people in their lives. And to work out the courage to do that, knowing that to join this bankruptcy case means you have to go public with your story to some degree, that is terrifying. And there are people that chose not to do that. On top of that, we have the fact that for many, like myself in my home state of South Carolina, the statute of limitations is so painfully short. It's three years for me. And while I may have qualified for it, others, this happened decades ago, and they gave up. They didn't realize there was another chance. They weren't following. They weren't watching because it dredges up the past. So why bother? And the last thing that makes it so tough and reminds us why we had the spike at the very end of that stretch, bankruptcy was filed in February. And if we remember, in March, a global pandemic hit and mm -hmm. took up all the air in the room. So the scouts, they they had to do some ad campaigns to push out messaging, but the survivors' lawyers realized that they've got to really push this. They've got to break through a media ecosystem that is focused on a very contentious election and a global pandemic. And they did that. They pushed as much as they could to let people know, this is your only chance. Either you file a claim by November or you don't have any recourse whatsoever. And yeah, that means at the end of the cycle, we're yeah. gonna see a big jump. Sure, that's logical. Okay. Let, let me ask you, let, I wanted to speak to the side of the masculinity. Um, mm -hmm. This has to be yeah. very challenging for males specifically to address, and I'd love for to hear your perspective on that. Before before we go there, though, I want to do one thing, Tom, because I was thinking the same thing, Sonia, is getting to masculinity and then also how this affects society on a larger scale. But there's a date that's coming up, Tom, that I believe you've mentioned that's really important. So before we get into the masculinity that I'm really looking forward to talking about. I want to hear about that date and the importance and kind of just to wrap up the case stuff. What is it that in the best case scenario, what happens uh, in your mind with that? Uh, so on May 19th, uh, in just a couple days, less than a week, mm -hmm. uh, the judge is having a hearing with the Boy Scouts of America's leadership to discuss their reorganization plan, that budget they've proposed that provides mm -hmm pretty much, no, definitively inequitable funds uh, for survivors. What their goal, the leadership of the Scouts, they are trying to get this plan to go out for a vote as quickly as possible. And they are hoping that by doing it, they can get just enough survivors to vote yes, because they're tired, they're anxious, they're exhausted, and Maybe they need, need, need just a little bit of money now so they'll settle, even though it's not the best thing for them. That's what they're hoping for is push it out to the vote, get that yes, and then 
hands wiped clean, we're done. And what we're trying to tell them is, no, the survivors aren't going to do that. We're not going to stand for that. We're not going to get pushed to the side again. And we don't even think this should be brought up to a vote at this point because it is so woefully inadequate that we know what the answer is going to be. And it is going to cost time. It is going to cost money. And it shows that we're not moving forward. So May 19th is our chance to continue pushing this message that it's got to be uh, it's got to be more equitable. And what we're really trying to do is show that the scouts leadership, they've been the one leading the charge because that's just how bankruptcy works. But they're showing that they're not willing to do it in the right way. And it's up to the survivors or the survivors should be the ones leading the charge. So we're actually pushing as well to get a survivor-led reorganization plan. Mm, they're going to match a lot. There's going to be a lot of overlap in terms of how do they reorganize their structure, put into place safe practices, um, all the positive things about the future. Yeah, those are those are going to overlap a lot and probably be pretty similar. The difference is that there's actually going to be a focus on making sure survivors are heard and survivors are treated equitably in this victim's compensation trust. So May 19th is a, it's a big date. We're gonna see more and more news stories come out about it because it's a big case. And uh, the hope is that this doesn't go to a vote. The survivors get more chances to speak and lead the charge. And we find something that actually works for us rather than just the uh, powers be. And have you written on this, Tom? as well or not not uh, previously? Uh, written just in terms of publishing things? Yeah, blog posts or anything about that. Uh, so I'm in the process of doing a five-part series uh, okay. explaining the bankruptcy, sharing my story, uh, talking about the challenges of trauma and repression and grappling with the fact that I forgot this, I repressed it for decades. Um, the challenges of masculinity, how we move forward. I'm, I'm trying to draft all that right now. Um, okay. More frustratingly, I, alongside with hundreds of other survivors, I wrote to the judge and I said, I want my story published. And the judge said, sure, we're just going to redact everything that mm -hmm. is graphic. What they did was they said, we are uncomfortable by this. We know that you are trying to share your story and we're going to deny you that ability. We are going to redact that story when we put it public. And right now, I can't tell you how infuriating that is. Because yeah. it took me all of my life up until essentially these past two weeks to get my story out there mm. and then to see it get redacted without my permission and my consent. Oh, mm. that's that stings. That stings that's a lot. That is just... Wow. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, um, I'd love to transition into the masculinity and, you know, I know that's something, this is something that, you know, women don't like to talk about <laughs> happens to women a lot, but it's even more of a taboo for men. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, kind of how this affects, um, our mas not our masculinity, but masculinity in general, and kind of, you know, just what your thoughts are on, on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is just a clear case of how masculinity is not really a clearly defined thing. It is a list of things that it can't be. 
and it is usually a pretty ridiculous list right now we're seeing within COVID. It's, uh, it's a don't wear your mask, that's not manly, or don't dress a certain way, that's not manly. Uh, mm -hmm. Don't listen to certain types of music, that's not manly. That's, that's the challenge of having it be a list of no's rather than a clearly defined, here is the good ideal of being a loving member of your community and your family. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, right now, masculinity does have a lot of overlap with power and how we view it. And to have something like this happen, it rips that power away. And there are, just throughout history, the, the, the idea of being a woman is synonymous with being weak. And if we're talking about the history of masculinity, well, the worst thing that you can possibly be is weak. Mm -hmm. and, and if this type of thing happens, then boom, you are linked, you are aligned to being like a woman, therefore you are weak, therefore you are no longer a man. It is ridiculous when you actually sit through and think mm -hmm. what, it, what these steps are, and yet it's right. just so entrenched in how we all think that we don't know how to react to it. Yeah, there I would are, add that, that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, I was adding that how they tell boys not to cry, not yeah. to be emotional. Yeah, yeah it's, it happens time and time again. And I'm, I've always, uh, even before this, I've, I've been a, uh, a bit of a crier. Uh, and it's something that I, I used to detest about myself. I used to hate it. And yeah. I could not figure out how to stop. Um, and then realizing, no, if I if I have a great conversation with someone and we share something, and I I learn something about him or her, and we you know our friendship just got to another level, hey, that's isn't that beautiful? Yeah, I'll cry, I'll cry at sunset. That's a beautiful thing. And <laughs> Amen. That's masculinity yeah. right there, that's baby. It, right? Come on, right? that's how it should be. That's how it, it should is. be. It is. It yeah. is. And mm -hmm. and yet we we don't allow it. We're, we're still trying to figure out what that definition is. There's, um, there's uh, a woman I've been reading a, a decent bit of her work recently, Liz Plank, who has been very focused on masculinity as the biggest thing we need to change to, uh, to kind of lead the feminist charge. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's just paraphrasing here, but the first victims of masculinity are men. We are the ones that are told here is the ladder you have to climb. Here's the thing that you have to battle. And if you don't make your way to the top, you are weak. You are a failure. And it's the reason why if a man loses his job versus a woman losing her job, mm -hmm. the man will probably implode. And the woman is going to keep on doing the same things that she's been doing, living her life, being engaged in her community. That right there is just a societal belief. It's not biological. It is how we view our role in the world. Yeah. And that's that's got to change. How do you see that affecting us as a society? I mean, really, we this is the patriarchy is basically what this is, which we've we've talked mm -hmm. about. We have an episode specifically about this theme. Um, but how do you how do you see that affecting us as a society, as a whole, as a culture? this idea of masculinity being you have to be strong you can't be emotional women are supposed to be weak how does that affect us 
Yeah. Well, uh, first, I got to amend my paraphrase. It's the uh, first victims of the patriarchy are, are men. Um, yeah, a little swing and a miss on that one. Um, but it's, it's this sense of not addressing our failings, that we have to be strong and infallible. And you're seeing that with institutions where I can't show weakness. And in the case of the Boy Scouts of America or the Catholic Church or the USA Gymnastics team or any other place that's been battling some kind of struggle, this is a sign of a weakness within the institution. And this design of how we view the, the idea of weakness means that rather than address it and say, hey, we've got a problem here and it's time to work together to solve it, we push it away and it festers and it builds and it grows. You see that all across society um, at the institutional level, at the local individual level, you see men imploding. There's a reason why there are so many linkages between unemployment and uh, suicide rates or drug usage. Um, there's a reason why most of the harm that gets done in the world is done by broken damaged men because we have this ideal that mm -hmm. we're told we've got to fit into. And it's, it's not natural. It's not what being a man actually is. It's just what we're told and what we've been told. Yeah, I would say also, Lacey, it doesn't allow us to be human and there's these unrealistic expectations. And so when a man is put in this role as Tom's defining, it trickles down to the rest of us, to women, to children, to the whole fabric of our society. So we're all interconnected. So what happens to the male is going to affect all of us. Right. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I would definitely like to date a guy that's not a robot, that has emotions, like can tell me how he's feeling, you know, like, and I, I don't think I'm the only one. Okay. <laughs> and as a daughter, I, I like to have a father who's that way. And do you see what I'm saying? So it, it's very easy to be like, well, it's not that big of a deal, but actually it, 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 it affects every single element, uh, every single element that makes up our society, that makes up families, that makes up groups, it, it's damaging. And, and, it, and it removes the ability for men to feel like they really can be human in the way that we really all are and really want to be. You know the uh, how we've had these mass shootings in the U.S. If you notice, they are, in my understanding, it's primarily been men. And the mental health is a whole nother aspect of this. You know, we don't support mm -hmm. mental health for people and uh, it's the cost loss of life. You know, um, it's, it permeates every aspect of, of our day-to-day, day-to-day lives. So we're all affected by it. For sure. Well, um, Tom, what, what are some next steps for you and, um, Kind of tell us a little bit about where you are and and your goals and any any way that folks can support you personally in this journey. I am early stages of really getting out and sharing my story, and uh, my hope is that this leads to as many survivors as possible coming forward, talking to the media, getting involved, and realizing that we're the ones that have the power in this specific case. Um, my, my goal is over the next few weeks to continue talking to as many news outlets as I can, 
sharing this story and empowering those. And if we're looking for support, if we're trying to find uh, ways to get involved, the best thing that you can do is to go to groups like Abused and Scouting and research all the things that they've been, uh, look up all the things that they've been researching. Um, they have such a large list of the abusers, the challenges, the way the court case has been running. And it, it paints that picture that lets you know, wow, this is, this is really broken. Um, so is go there. Abused and scouting? I believe it's a .com. It might be a .org, but yes. Okay. okay. Um, and go, uh, go give them a look. Um, be willing to, anytime you see an article, and I guarantee you're going to see plenty mm -hmm. in the next few weeks, realize that this is something that is designed to either share this, the story of a survivor, or it's designed to belittle us and rip away our humanity. Those are the only two articles that are coming out. And if you see one that really paints us as money hungry people that are just trying to tear down an institution, think about that. Think about why are people so determined to keep the system in place as it exists and really question that. Share, spread the word and help us uh, feel stronger in what we're trying to do. Yeah, I think sharing is really important, getting the word out to as many people as possible. Yeah, here's that abused and scouting. Can you speak, Tom, directly to folks who have, um, a, you know, experienced abuse, uh, maybe in Boy Scouts of America or outside of Boy Scouts? What, what message would you give to someone who's listening right now, who's been through something similar, who maybe, you know, hasn't processed it or is scared to, or, you know, what message would you give to someone out there right now who's been through something similar? Well, I'll speak specifically to the men uh, because this is, this is a unique challenge and it is the scariest thing in the world. Um, leading up to when I did my first interview, uh, the anxiety that was there is something I, I have not felt to date. And yet the moment my voice was out there, that anxiety was gone. And if anything, I felt relieved. I felt free. I felt like I could finally be who I was, whatever that was. I have gotten an enormous amount of support from uh, plenty of friends, Lacey and Sonia, of course, uh, but plenty of others that have come out and lended that support. And this isn't just women that come through and say, yeah, we, we get it. We've been talking about this and uh, thank you for being strong. It's it's men that say, wow, I wish I could do that. Yeah. This yeah. this is something we're all facing. We mm -hmm. don't want to be boxed into some very small definition of what a man could be. And if you're feeling nervous, if you're feeling worried about it, that abused and scouting website is probably the best place to get started anyway. And never feel afraid to share who you are. This doesn't define you. There's another website I think you mentioned to us. It's oneinsix.com, mm -hmm. which I believe is the statistic for how many boys or men are have experienced abuse. Is that correct? That's a terrifying number, but yes, one in six have experienced some level of abuse. So it shows just how rampant this is. Um, and they are an exceptional resource for learning more about that specifically. 
you can also go to Rain, R-A-I-N-N, uh, their website. Again, I need to learn if these are .orgs or .coms, but Rain, <laughs> Rain.whatever is uh, another fantastic website that shows all these different ways that uh, survivors are trying to grapple with the concept of sexual trauma. Yeah, awesome. So if you're a male and you're looking for some support, I think this one in six obviously is another place you can go and then rain as well. Um, it's, you know, again, it's so it's happened to so many people. Mm -hmm. We just haven't talked about it. Um, just know you're not alone. But we want to say to you today, you are not alone and there is help. Um, and there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and I just want to encourage you to um, take the, take courage because there's, you know, brighter days on the other side when you're willing to just kind of face this stuff. And Tom, you know, as we wrap up here, I just want to say thank you so much for being willing to share your story, for being strong enough to be public with it. It's inspiring to me. Um, it's inspiring, I'm, I'm sure, to, to so many other people, but it's really humbling to be able to have you here to talk about this because it's such an important issue and it's such a taboo as you know very well and we just want you to know how much we appreciate you uh doing this with us today and and with everyone else you know that you're that you're doing it with yeah i'll second that this is such an important conversation and i feel such gratitude tom that you you know opened up your heart and your story to talk to us it's it's so powerful i thank you so much yeah it's it's time that's that's all i've got to say it's time yeah well on that note we will wrap this thing up thank you again tom for being here with us thank you all for being here with us and listening and watching um you can follow us if you want more information about the podcast you can follow us on at rethinking humanity on instagram um, and uh, we hope to see you on our next episode of the Rethinking Humanity podcast. Have a great weekend.